G'day listeners, welcome to the Power Hour with Sour Hour podcast. Bit more bang for your buck this week. We've got grand final winner Scott Sattler and as a bonus... We've got one of the hottest young guns in the game in Ryan Pappenhausen. Both were kind enough to give up their time. So sit back, listen, and enjoy. Okay, Scott Sattler, thanks for coming on Power Hour with Sour Hour. Appreciate your time. Let's get straight into it. Todd Byrne gets that ball, 03 grand final. <laughs> Scott Sattler, what's he thinking? And how do you come up with that tackle? <laughs> oh, I feel it. Uh, well, to be quite honest, mate, I, I think um, I, I just really want to try and get him to score in the in the uh, near the corner post. To be quite honest, um, dry track he would have burnt me, I'd say. But um, on a wet night, mate, I I actually remember the roof It's funny enough, and, and you've been in those moments. Yes, we can't hear the crowd. Um, everything's so silent, but I could hear Reece Weston, my fullback, just yelling at me. Just he said, "I keep going. I've got you inside." So I just kept running and. And Toddy you know, continued to try and take me on the outside. And fortunately for me, mate, it was a, it was a really wet night. And, um, I was always a bit of a mud runner anyway, and, and was able to get really good contact on him in the wet and slide over into into touch. So, um, like I said, a dry a dry night. He, he would have burnt me, I think. But fortunately for me, he continued to to take me on the outside. And and actually, when we slid across the ground and and we turned around, I remember turning around, seeing where Reese was or what Reese was. He was. Well, he would have been another 20 or 30 metres away. So um, he was no chance of getting him. I don't think if he did step inside. <laughs> It's, uh, I asked that because I, I roomed with, of course, if you haven't seen it, go on to YouTube, 2003 Grand Final, Panthers, Roosters, Scott Sattler, try-saving tackle. It's in the folklores of history. But I actually had shoulder surgery at the same time as, as Todd Byrne. And it was, it was one of those talking points where I wanted to ask him about you know, Grand Final, but I didn't want to ask him because uh, he probably never lived that down. But... Uh, what an amazing feeling to win the O three grand final. I'd be right in saying that you're underdogs. How'd you guys do it? And what were some of the memories or moments that you look back on and think, we had a special team, we knew we could get the job done? Well, Sarah, I think it's, I've dated back to 2001, I think. Um, we got the wooden spoon in 2001. In 2002, we were second last or third last, I think. And um, we got a new coach in John Lang, um, he, where he peeled back all the layers, actually, basically just simplified everything in rugby league and it was all basically based on on effort and um, your individual roles and, and just being there for one another. And so it took a while for a few of the guys that have been there for a while to really apply themselves to a, such a simplified version of the game. And, and even into about round five or round six of 2003, the year we won it, we, we still... I think we were still third last or fourth, fourth last. We weren't travelling that well. We got, we got beaten by the Broncos round one and towed up by Melbourne in round two and, and Canberra in round four. So when we won a couple of games on the trot, we won south and we had a bye. Then we won the Warriors. I think it was round five, six and seven. We started thinking, oh, maybe we can squeeze into a top eight position. And then um, we got to the stage there where... We had a lot of these young players, mate. We had like the Lewis's and Rooney's and Rodney's, uh, Steve Turner, um, Trent Waterhouse, uh, Ben Ross, Joel Clinton, uh, all these young, uh, Luke Swain, all these young players, and most of them were all local juniors. And they'd come through all the, the junior reps and they'd won a lot of competitions themselves. So they started teaching us older guys like myself and Girdler and um, Martin Lang and, and just and Toe just to learn how to win again. And they got to the stage, I think we got about eight or nine in a row, and we thought, oh, you know, we're a chance of definitely playing finals. And 
and we lost the game here and there, but then just went on a run towards the end of the year where we thought we thought that if we got to the, the last round of the regular season, we were in the top four. We, we thought we could give it a real shake. We still weren't certain we could win it, to be quite honest. We just still thought we were a little bit too raw. But um, then we won the minor premiership and, um, and beat the Broncos in round one. And then when we got the Warriors in, in the grand final qualifier, we, we had a bit of the wood on the Warriors that year. We played them three times already and beat them quite convincingly those three times, including a trial. And, and we sort of thought, Sowie, that when we played the Warriors in the finals, we always thought we had their measure. And we just knew that if we got to the grand final, I don't think it was until we got over the top of the Warriors that we could truly believe that we could win the comp. Yeah, you speak about that. It was obviously a 28-20 victory over the Warriors and then 18-6 against the Roosters on a wet night at ANZ Stadium. What was the, the turning point in that finals where, you know, you, you thought maybe we're not good enough, but there, there would have been one moment. We had a moment in the semi-final where we just weren't at our best, but we managed to scrape a win and we knew once we got to the grand final that we could get the job done. But I think every team has a, a turning moment on the way there, whether it's a bit of luck with injury or a play that sort of went your way that you weren't expecting to. Well, we played the Broncos in the the first final, the preliminary finals, the qualifying finals. And it was one versus eight back then. So um, they limped into the finals and they went to about a, I think they went to about an 18 lead and we had a gale force win behind us in the second half and we scored another try and we still weren't playing our best and I remember Phil Gould watching back on the game in Channel 9 he said I think the Broncos need to score a couple more here if they're really going to beat this side because I think the Panthers are going to come home and as soon as he said that Ryan Girdler took an intercept from 60 metres out off of Benny Eichen pass and he, he read it he read it at the start of that set. I remember he, I was defending two, in, two inside him and he said to me, get up as hard as you can on Eichen and force him to pass. And so we got up really hard on Benny Eichen and he forced him to pass and he intercepted around 60, ran under the goalpost, scored a try and all of a sudden we were back to 18, 16 and, and that's what we really needed to, to turn our uh, turn our fortune. So it was that one play, I think, that, that allowed us to to get on the front foot, use the window our advantage, and we came home with a wet sail and, and beat the Broncos. And as I said, we got, to, we got to the Warriors, and we just, I think we just knew we were mentally and physically tougher than the Warriors, and that's the way that it turned out. Now, you won that comp in 2003, but you make your debut for the Gold Coast Seagulls in 1992, so you wait a long time for success. I'm looking at your stats here. I get the stats from Malcolm Middleton. You never really got settled at a club or into first grade until you went to the Panthers. You had Gold Coast Seagulls, 92-93, Eastern Suburbs for a year. Then you were the inaugural captain for the South Queensland Crushers, 95-96. Back to the Gold Coast Chargers, 97-98. Then you go from 99 to 2003, you go to the Penrith Panthers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one because at the Gold Coast, yeah, we had a really good under-21 side in 1992. There was, um, there was Jamie Goddard, myself, Kevin Campion, uh, Adrian Vales, just out of that one side. All four players ended up playing playing um, some form of origin. And so we had a really good group of young players. And then we all went through and made our debuts as young fellas. And Wally Lewis was the captain coach. He believed in giving the young guys a go in first grade. And we're very fortunate for that. In 93, we all started playing first grade again. And... And then um, I signed to go to the South Queensland Crushers, but didn't start until 94. Over. That was the brand-new Brisbane side. And um, 
and I went to the Roosters for a year and absolutely hated it, despised it. I just I didn't like Sydney. I just didn't think I was emotionally mature enough for Sydney. Um, came back to the Crosses and um, and enjoyed my two years there, but we actually we actually didn't get paid. We weren't going to get paid in 1996. I told you, the ball was even kicked off in anger that we weren't going to get paid to play the game. So basically, we just played and trained um, the, because we loved the game. The originally, while we started playing the game, and um, we ended up sort of coming to some agreement towards the end of the season. But there's one of those years, the 1996 year, they were a write-off for a lot of players, and no one really felt comfortable in the game. And and so myself, I felt as though that I had to go back to where it started, back to the Gold Coast Charges. And 97, 98, I, I don't think I missed any games. To be honest. I'm not, and, but, I, but we had a good year in 97. We played finals in 1997 at the Chargers and two really enjoyable years there. But then in 1998, we get the word that the Gold Coast Chargers is going to be kicked out of the competition. So uh, I, fortunately enough, had signed with Penrith by that stage because I'd, I'd heard a whisper from a friend of mine Rugby League Week, Tony Dirk, and that the Gold Coast Chargers and the Adelaide Rams and co were going to be kicked out of the competition. So I signed with Penrith and, and yeah, had, had five great years there. And when I moved down there, I just, I, I felt like, I felt like I belonged there straight away. Even though I knew no one, I just felt as though the club itself had a real family-like atmosphere, which I really enjoyed and, and enabled me to, to play really good footy. And you win the comp in 03, as I mentioned, but you leave the club. You go to the West Tigers in 04... What was the situation there? Was that a salary cap issue, or did you feel like it was time to move on? No, no, I definitely didn't want to move on. I wanted to retire at the, at the Panthers. I thought I still had a couple of years left in me at 31, and um, always trained really hard and looked after myself. Had a, a, a left knee that always I always struggled with uh, in in the weeks, the days in between games, but always managed it really well. And, so it was just a salary cap situation. We had so many good youngsters that I just mentioned earlier on. They were about to go and play for their country at the age of 19 and 20. So they were going to get upgrades. Um, me being one of the oldest in the, in the team, I was obviously sacrificed. And I didn't agree with it at the time because I didn't understand the salary cap. And no player does when you are playing. But when I retired and then I had to deal with the salary cap myself at the Gold Coast Titans, um, in the operational role there, I started to realise that it was the right decision to make when you're making those decisions as CEO. And, um, you know, I, I found it really tough at first, having to leave, um, knowing that I was leaving. And then but it also, it probably gave me a little bit of a selfish attitude, wanting to leave the club on the best possible note as well. And, you know, that, you talk about that tackle in the grand final. I mean, to me, it was special because it was my last game for the club and I was able to leave at the club, you know, with a, with a really great memory. And, and the fans who I always loved out there, always, have always treated me so great. So to go to the Tigers was a salary cap, but um, I was going to go to South, actually. And and then um, because my dad wore jersey number 13 at South, and I did as well, I, I didn't want to taint his legacy at all in case I got injured or, or played crap footy, whatever it may be. But I went to the West Tigers purely because, one, Royce Simmons was there, and I loved Royce when he brought me down to Penrith. But also, I wanted to be able to, finished my rugby league career and say that I got coached by Tim Sheens and I was able to do that in 2004 and I signed for the 2005 season as well but about three quarters of the way through the 2004 season, I just I was pulling up really badly from games and, and my knee wasn't the best, it was it was swelling up and I was, it was taking a lot out of my preparation and I'd, 
I just knew I wouldn't get through another pre-season in 05, and stupidly enough, they go and win the cup, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> I was just about to ask you that. I mean, you must have been tempted. You probably couldn't oh, – you don't see it at the time, but uh, you certainly, 05, an, an opportunity missed to get your second uh, premiership. But you, you talk about retirement. It's not an easy time, is it? Because, yes, you, you want your body. You know what your body should be doing, but – when injuries sort of hold you back and you can feel yourself losing that yard of pace, the recovery takes a little bit longer. I know myself, when I'd come back from England, I'd made the decision on the plane. I did not want to go back. I didn't want to put my body through the preseason, the needles, everything like that that we get ready to play for in such a long competition. But was it that clear cut for you? Did you did you sort of push it a little bit too longer? Did you know after 2003 that you, know, you said you wanted to play on, but it sounded like your body was probably not responding how well you wanted it to. Yeah, I think um, if I if I would have handled myself better in the pre-season going into the 04 season of the Tigers, I, I probably may have got through to 05. Um, I was fine when I finished in 03. I, I felt good even though my knee, I managed it well, but it was always, it always used to disable me early on in the, in the uh, weeks leading into games. But I really pushed myself through the pre-season of the Tigers, just trying to, you know, just trying to set an example as a new player and, a, and an older player. I just wanted to not take any shortcuts, which I never did anyway, but I didn't want to miss out on any sessions. And so I did a lot of the long, arduous road running and, and it really took its toll. You know, although I, I felt as though it was one of my best years that I had in my career and um, and you know, won an award at the Tigers at the end of the year. And I, and I loved my year. That was a fantastic year and I played really well. I thought within myself, I thought I had a good season. I just, and you, you touched on it just then, Sowie. I, I remember I was running backwards against getting back in the defensive line, playing against Melbourne at Leichhardt Oval one day, and my knee just locked up, and I hit the ground like a sniper shot me from the girls. Mm. And the trainer ran on, it's you're all right, and so my knee's locked up, it's like it was frozen. So they manipulated it back out again, and it kept locking up every game, and then it would unlock itself. And then towards the end of the season, I was I was pushing myself into tackles with the ball in hand and trying to drive through the tackles, and these young players were just manhandling me, just using me like a rag doll. And I thought I just didn't have that power and that strength anymore that I used to have to be able to compete in the tackle. So that was a that was a sure sign that you know that you know the, the game's getting away from you. The players are getting younger, stronger, and quicker, and they're going to humiliate you. Now you spoke about your your dad's legacy at the Bunnies. Played in six grand finals. He won four of them. Of course, everyone remembers him not only for his playing talents, but the the broken jaw, courtesy of Manly's John Bucknell. I mean, it must have been, geez, it must have been amazing to grow up with such a fantastic role model in the game, but also hard for yourself to try and recreate what who was such a great player yourself. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I didn't start playing rugby league until I was about 12, Sally. Um, my dad actually didn't want to let me play rugby league. It's funnily enough, he always thought it was, it was, um, it was too rough, even though he was a game, he was a player that used to try and maim every player that he played against. <laughs> but um, he used to think it was too rough, so. I played soccer till I was 11 or 12 and then started playing just because I, I annoyed them enough that they took me along to a training session. And, you know, like going through the juniors, it was it was difficult because um, it was more the parents. Not the other kids. Yeah. They wouldn't know less. But all the other parents are the ones that used to single me out quite a bit. Um, I used it to my advantage as well when you went to um, the junior rep carnivals and your name's not Smith or Brown, but it stands out a little bit, I suppose, that, Puts a little bit of um, an onus on yourself to try and uh, try and perform, and if you did, you got picked in those representative teams. Um, but when I got to uh, when I got to grade, I don't think too many 
people worry about it. Anyone sort of forgets about it. But internally, myself, I I used it to drive myself because I knew my dad was uh, a player that was held in the highest regards uh, on and off the field. Um, but it, so for me, it was it was um, it was it was great to to be able to just try and represent him because he's such a such a good guy, and I just wanted to try and represent him the best way I could to. The fans of the game. He always gave everything to the fans from, from what I was told. And I used to witness it when we go to rugby league games, how much time he gave the fans. And I, I always tried to tried to emulate that as well. Um, playing all of the game had changed. We had different positions, whatever it might be. But I remember my dad always saying, he never used to stick his head in at all into my career that much. The only two times he stuck his head in my career is when he said, you're never going to be the best player in any team you play, you know, because you're going to have guys that have got a lot more skill, a lot more quicker than you. But there's one thing you can't control: you can be the fittest player in the game. Right. So I always I trained just brutally hard every day to try and to try and live up to that expectation and the way that he used to play. And then I remember when I was going to sign with at the end of '98, I didn't know whether I was going to sign with South Manly or Penrith, and I said I'm not going to go to South Dad because that's your club and yeah. Manly. Manly, you know, I want to live near the beach again, so that'd be really good. And he said, if you play for Manly, I'll never watch you play another rugby league game ever again. So <laughs> it made it pretty easy. I'm <laughs> so you, you find your way out to Penrith and you, and you win your own comp. But let's talk about retirement. Uh, the Gold Coast Titans, you go into the inaugural uh, football manager role on the Gold Coast Titans when they return to the competition. What have you made of... I guess recent years, you know, there's a lot of talk going around that maybe they should be relocated with the, they never sell out their home grounds. Uh, from mm. my point of view, you know, the, the players, that roster continues to underachieve year after year. What have you made of the Titans from when you first went into that role versus yep. now? Have they gone backwards? Have they stayed the same? Oh, yeah, you've definitely gone backwards. Um, at times it's been really frustrating as a Gold Coast boy. Yeah, when I was growing up, all everyone did was play for the Gold Coast Giants, which is a team in 1988, the first team in the comp. And, um, and yeah, it's definitely gone backwards. But they're slowly getting back on track. They've got some really good people off the field that are that are providing the resources. They're not overdoing the resources, which sometimes can be a negative impact on your club. But um, really good people off the field. They've now just um, they've now just got to sign some really good, uh, one good marquee player, I think, but also some really good senior players that are willing to rattle the cage a little bit internally with the playing group. I don't think they've got that senior playing group that that knows the difference between winning and losing and building a and building a fabric and and an identity, what you really stand for. I don't really think they know what they stand for. I knew what when I finished and retired and I moved straight into that role helping out what was called the NRL uh, Gold Coast big team back there. There was no team name and there's really only four or five of us who were working tirelessly to try and get that license. And when we did get that license I'd only just retired so I still had relationships with a lot of the players, um, player managers, but also had played against pretty much all the players we signed. So um, it gave me a really good opportunity to have that close relationship and do a lot of due diligence and research on the particular players that we signed. Now, the the boxes that we want to tick, Sowie, when we started the club was, uh, one, they had to have the talent. Two, uh, the next stage was uh, they had to have a really good work ethic from a training point of view off off the field. Um, and a, a player that always looked to do extras. Third one is, did they have a long-term partner, male or female? Didn't matter. We just let, wanted to make sure they had the long-term partner as well. We thought if we let me we, stop you there because yeah. I've talked to many coaches about the the last couple of years, and they've all said 
that they they needed more they need more people in the Gold Coast Titans that have long term partners. Yeah. Tell tell the listeners why that's so important and and why in two thousand and seven you were, were looking for that. It's now twenty nineteen. They have gone backwards. How come they haven't been able to translate that into getting more guys like that up there? Well, I think first and foremost we we looked at that because one it um, it I suppose it portrays loyalty. Uh, it also portrays stability. Uh, also portrays a maturity. If they've had a long term partner that. That um, there's there's something that they've got to play for other than themselves, you know. Whether it's their wife, fiance, long term partner, they might have children, whatever it may be. You know, they've got another motivation to play for. We thought that was really important, you know, for us. Um, and we got, I think, we got 75 percent of that right. And I think the first few years we showed that um, on the Gold Coast that we could do everything right in the community, but also have a really competitive rugby league side. What's happened? In the years after sort of 2011 onwards, um, well, first and foremost, the off-field um, dramas that were created um, around Michael Stanley over them that destabilised the community, and and also I think there's been there's been some management groups that have been able to get in and infiltrate the club and basically fill the playing roster with a lot of their players that I truly don't believe were of NRL standards. So when you get to around 15 or 16, you start digging into the depth of your playing group and you're bringing in players that really aren't up to NRL standard week in, week out. And that's your performances, as you know. And I think that's what's happened with the Gold Coast for a for what is now a large period of time. I think the new management, I think they're starting to get on top of that now. And I think they're starting to um, try to marginalise the input from the player managers and what players play at their clubs. I've talked to a lot of people about it and, and had to discuss it myself on various shows. That's probably the... I guess best way I've heard it put is that you know the Titans you spoke about that that you wanted players that did extras that firstly had the talent that work ethic but the long term relationship the stability to be able to you know not always you know go down the and party alley but just you know have that stability at home that real good work ethic and I don't think anyone's explained it better than that so I thank you for that. Fairly, I'll give you two really quick examples. The first one was Mark Minicello. He was playing first grade at South Sydney. You know, he was at the Roosters as well, as you know. But he, he wasn't sort of a, a week-in, week-out rugby uh, NRL player. But the research we did on him was that he, um, that he was a, an amazing trainer. He always looked after himself, medically looked after himself. He always rehabbed well. Um, he had, a, a lot, like I said, a long-term partner. He was now his, his wife, and they've got two beautiful boys. And... Um, and we ticked all these boxes with Mark Minicello. And a lot of people said, oh, you might take a risk on him. Well, he ended up being the most capped Gold Coast Titan. Yeah. Um, an, amazing, an amazing player week in, week out that just epitomised uh, what, what we wanted the club to be. The other was Nathan Friend. And one of, the, one of the, the lasting images I get of both those players, I used to always see them walking around the training facility with an esky, like a little carry esky on their shoulder. In that esky was just all their little extra food that they'd eat every, every hour, every half hour, just to nourish their bodies to prepare themselves for the next game. And they're the sort of people you want around your club. Let's talk about something else that happened in retirement for you. 2010, you had a boxing fight against <laughs> Anthony Fowler. Now, there's no results here. Uh, do I dare ask the result? Do you want to be talked about that? Or, or do I just keep moving? <laughs> No, no, it was actually a bucket list, actually. I've, I've been interested in boxing my whole life and, um, and started doing it when I was about 11 or 12. And, and then always as part of my bucket list, I always wanted to have one professional fight. And so um, in 2010, I 
was always training at this one boxing gym on the Gold Coast, and and then a promoter said to me, "Listen, did you want to fight on a card?" And I said, "Yeah, why not?" So I trained for it, and I got put up against Anthony Fowler, who um, he'd had four or five fights, and he was about twenty-five kilos heavier than me, and um, and I ended up getting the result, I ended up getting the points in in the fight, and it was just a it was just a, a bucket list that I wanted to tick off, and and. Um, yeah, fortunate enough, I was to be able to do that really. I always wanted to have a fight while, when I was playing, but um, when I was at the Penrith Panthers, they didn't let me. I just, there's always something I always wanted to do in the off-season, but I was never allowed to, so I finally got to do it upon retirement. Well, now you see boxers doing it, of course, Sonny Bill, Gallant. Who would win that fight in one in one name? Just tell me a name. Who would win? <sighs> I'm, I'm going to say Gallant. Just keeps, just is too strong or? Just keep walking. Forward. Yeah. When you just don't want to keep walking forward, you, just, you don't know where to hide. <laughs> <laughs> we'll finish with a couple of quick questions. What was your first car? My first car was a Dohatsu Charade, a white Dohatsu Charade. Did you buy it or parents? My parents used to put um, money away from ever, ever since I was 11. I used to do jobs. We owned pubs and lived in the pubs that we, that we owned. I used to do jobs for my mum and dad every week. And I never used to get paid for it, but what I didn't know is I used to put money away each week into this account. So when I turned 18, that money went towards a car. So, yeah. yeah good. Uh, what was the best game Scott Sattler ever had? The best game Scott Sattler ever had, um, I'm going to say Newcastle at Penrith Stadium in uh, 1999 it was. They beat us in the end, but I, I think it was one of the best games I've played. Jeez, good memory. I remember my good ones. I can't tell you my bad ones. Um, <laughs> what about the best player you ever played with? Best player I played with, um, the one guy that I always sat in the dressing room with and I looked across the... Across the I mean, I played with the King, Wally Lewis, when I was 19. I, I said, it wasn't, wasn't frequent enough, but in saying that, if I looked across the dressing room and I knew a guy that was in my team and I knew we were half a chance of winning the game, it would be Ryan Girdler. Wow. Yeah, he's a freak. He was absolute freak. Did you you got Wally prime or at the end? No, I got Wally in his last year. He was captain coach for the Gold Coast Seagulls. I've heard some stories about Wally. We haven't got time, but I've heard some stories. Uh, what is Scott Sattler doing now in retirement? I know that uh, you're working for the, the Channel Nine in Queensland Intrust Super Cup. Uh, who's going to win up there? And are you going to be able to come down and take the chocolates of us like you haven't the last couple of years in that reserve yeah, grade comp? I think we will. I think we will. I, I also do a lot of radio work for Prop Media, NRL Nation. Um, we do that every week, commentate the NRL. Uh, also, I've got my own, I've been a private investor. I've got, I've got my investigation company, which I've had for quite a few years now. And um, But outside of that, I commentate Channel 9, as you said, Sally, as, as you do as well. And I think Sunshine Coast Falcons, which is a Melbourne Storm feeder club, they've only lost one game this year. I think they'll win the comp, and I think they'll go down on Grand Final day, and I think they'll um, they'll bring the cup back home. I think. Well, Redcliffe came down last year. They came up short get a surprise performance against the Bulldogs. But thank you very much, Scott Sattler, for your time. We appreciate it. Ryan Pappenhausen joins us on Power Hour with Sour. Thanks for coming on, Ryan. Let's get straight into it. Uh, you sent me through some photos. Now, not many people would know, but I can throw this up on the podcast. You used to wear a headgear. I did, and uh, I think you're pretty familiar with the headgear <laughs> I used to wear as well. Mate, <laughs> you surely, I mean, I, know, I can understand why you took it off, but uh, did, you, did you think about wearing it in grade? Was it a was it a mum thing? Did she make you wear it? Uh, yeah, mum was sort of always uh, wanting me to wear headgear. Um, obviously a big fan of you. Uh, when I went through the phase of wearing it, and um, yeah, sort of just stopped wearing. It. I sort of just 
realised myself that I didn't have to wear one. Um, Mum sort of just put into me earlier that I, I probably should, but after a while I started realising I don't need it and um, yeah, then got rid of it. But, yeah, there was a stage where I wore the... Uh, Red and white Jamie Sowers gear. <laughs> That's for the listeners. Uh, Ryan sent me through those photos very kindly. But uh, I want to talk about your move down to the Melbourne Storm because you juniors. I mean, you had very successful juniors coming through all the programs. New South Wales eighteens, twenties. You finally get the chance to play first grade in Melbourne. But was there a time you probably thought you were going to play at the Tigers and stay at the Tigers? Uh, yeah, mate. Probably. I think um, I never really didn't really get to a serious point until I was about 15 or 16 I think um when sort of money got involved and I started to realize that it's actually a possible career pathway and um yeah as, as I said the Tigers gave me that opportunity to to go through their 20 system and um they treated me really well I had some good coaches there and um it was just unfortunate I had a couple of injuries uh towards my back end of 20s and uh sort of knew that I wasn't really going to progressed with these injuries and um, luckily enough sort of Melbourne came to me and uh, offered the opportunity to make sure I see all these specialists and do heaps of work with our speed coaches and make sure my uh, my body was fit to hopefully get a long career and that sort of sold me and um, it was nothing against Tigers leaving but yeah they were they gave me the opportunity to, to take footy seriously around 16 so I'm like forever grateful for that, but yeah, that however it happened, I sort of ended up the storm, and um, yeah, haven't looked back since then. Let's speak about those injuries, mate, because you were it was a lot to do with your hamstrings. You make the move down to Melbourne, you get all the help that you need. You did a lot of work with former Olympian uh, Adam Basil to help address this. How were you able to get your speed back and be confident with that, knowing that you've had so much hamstring problem? Yeah, well, I think they uh, they sort of set out a pretty clear plan for me. Um, they said rather than focusing on your hamstrings, uh, just purely your hamstrings, we'll focus on everything around it just so it all sort of ties in. Um, so a lot of glute work, a lot of hip conditioning and um, a bit of stuff to do with my back as well. So they really set out this clear plan and uh, it was the first I sort of heard of it. And at the time I was very frustrated with missing games and I thought, look, if this is an opportunity to get my hammies better and hopefully um, set up a long career, then I'm more than willing to do that. I knew going down to Melbourne, I probably wasn't going to get a start in my first year. Um, I just knew it was all about sort of progress and just making myself the best player I could be. And um, yeah, looking back at that now, it's a, it's, um, pretty happy I sort of made that decision. And um, Touchwood have yeah haven't had anything since um, those days at the Tigers, but yeah, they look after me well down here, so it's been good. It's a sliding doors moment because you moved down to Melbourne at the end of 2017 knowing that Billy Slater maybe had a year, maybe had two years left, maybe even longer if his body held up. But when you moved down there, what were your first, I guess, impressions of the place and and how hard was it to be able to get yourself into that top squad? Uh, First impressions of the place were just so... It was just such a professional environment. Um, Sort of everything uh, you needed to do was at the club. You could get a feed, you could do your recovery. There's a massive gym... um, and it's only down the road from where I'm actually living at the moment. So it's 24-hour access and just everything around that, um, just how hard the coaches and even the even the corporates and uh, people and staff just work as, as hard. Um, so to see that pretty much 24-7, you, you either have a choice to buy into it or leave the club, otherwise you don't really fit in. So I was sort of driven in pretty early that you had to work hard to, to get your position and, um, yeah, bide your time if need be. But... 
yeah, lucky enough we've got an opportunity this year, but uh, sort of come quicker than I expected. You talk about the 24-hour access. Have you been down there in the middle of the night when you can't sleep after a game and just done a little bit of extra recovery? Yeah, yeah. This so this year more the, more so than uh, last. <laughs> but I, um, yeah, I've, because it's sort of because it's so close. I, there's been a few times where it'd be sort of midnight and I'd be a bit sore, and we'd have training the next day, and I'd go, you know what, like I'd. I've got to be my best for training, so I'll go down and do what I need to do now. So just that sort of mentality, I think everyone has around the club. Um, so there's, there's been a few times where I've wandered down to Amy Park at 12 in the morning and just jumped in the ice bars and made sure I was all right for the next day. Do you think that your body and you've looked after your body and been more professional since you've gone to the Melbourne Storm? Were you like this as a kid? Did you did you think recovery was such a big part of the game? Uh, I, was always, I was always pretty driven, uh, but there's a whole different sort of part to recovery I found coming down here. It was a, um, it was not just ice baths. It was stretching, um, making sure you're sticking to a constant gym program. You're not, um, not taking too much time off. Otherwise your body sort of doesn't get used to the load when you come back and just all those sort of types of things. So there's, it doesn't get boring my recovery. It's sort of, there's always something different to do. And I think that's what, um, what I enjoy about it now is just there's so many more approaches you can take to it. And, um, you sort of figure out what's best for you, and I think I found that now. So I just sort of get in the routine to make sure I feel better for the week to come. Let's talk about your debut. You made it against Canterbury round four this year. What were you feeling before your debut? Did you feel like that you were ready to go, or were you still not sure how you'd fill in uh, or fit in with the team? Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't really sure. I, um, I wasn't too nervous, uh, but. If you asked me a week or two before I got asked to debut, I, I would have said I wasn't ready. Um, but it just goes to show that like, you just got to trust what you do at training and uh, trust the system that, that I'm in. And I think I did that on game day. Sort of had uh, Jesse and Cameron Smith sort of just come up to me and just tell me a couple of things to do. Bills was the same, just offered me a little bit of advice. Nothing too too hard, just sort of make my tackles run hard. and. If you got those little simple things to focus on, I don't think it really sets you up to get too nervous. So I think I, I just sort of took that on board and um, sort of found out throughout the year that um, I just got to focus on a few things and then let, let my sort of natural ability just run its own course. How have you been able to do that? Because there's been times, you know, I've called you games and one of the most electrifying players I find to watch in the game, but... How do you find being able to play anywhere in the 17? Your defence in the middle has been outstanding considering that you are a fullback and you're only lightweight. How have you been able to adapt to that? And, and what are some of the unusual roles that Craig Bellamy and Cam Smith have asked you to play maybe at training or fill in at the game? Yeah, so I've done a fair bit of work um, early in the season with Jason Rolls and Johnny Donahue. They're our uh, defensive side coaches. Um, so I did a bit of work with them, knowing that there's there's a possibly an opportunity of coming on as the number 17, and uh, didn't yeah didn't really expect it to happen how it did, but um, it was just as simple as making sure I'm just getting my body in front. If I get my body in front, it's sort of they might run over me, but I'm still stopping stopping the momentum, and other boys will come in and help me. So then again, it wasn't that pressure to sort of put them down. I was sort of just get your body in front, and you'll get help and. From all that training, I sort of just trusted the lads to, to come and help me when needed to. Um, but the special role, I guess, was I didn't really have one. It was just like two simple jobs. And um, if I saw an opportunity, they encouraged me to go go after it, um, just hang around the ball and make sure that 
a bit of a live wire when all the other forwards get a bit tired. It just takes a lot of pressure off them. So it was a really simple job and really simple role. But um, I think the, the boys around me sort of helped make those opportunities, um, which I'm pretty grateful for. What have you learned about yourself filling in in that role? I'm, I've come off the bench a couple of times, but I never felt comfortable as you are playing in the middle. What have you learned about yourself that you've been able to put into your game now that you're starting fullback, you're more accustomed position, and now you're playing you know, every week? Yeah, I reckon I've just learned to appreciate the uh, the rookies' role a little bit more. I think <laughs> they, um, they they do it very tough, and it's a it's a very different fitness to playing fullback. I know, I think at fullback we cover about nine k's a game, and in the ruck you might only cover four or five, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole different fitness. I was you make a few tackles and I was blowing, but um, luckily, luckily you got twelve other men in the line with you. That if you if you are off a little bit, they're there to help you. And um, whereas as fullback, you're sort of the last line of defence, and if they break past you, then there's no one behind you. So um, same thing. Body in front was sort of something I had playing as a fullback, um, just making sure I would get my body in front there. And then all I had to do was just transfer that in the middle and just know I had a little bit of help around me as well. Can you believe that you're, you're playing fullback for the Melbourne Storm? You're following the greatest fullback of all time in Billy Slater. Can you believe, has it, have you pinched yourself? Have you sat down and thought, I'm 21, I'm filling in for the greatest ever shoes? And what's he been able to tell, teach you without sort of going too far and changing your game? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't really had too much time to sit down and think about it yet. Um, to be honest, last night was probably the, the first time where I thought, wow, like, this, is a, this is a pretty... Big achievement uh, being a fullback running into the finals time and um, sort of hit me a little bit then, but I uh, still haven't had that full moment where I've gone wow. Um, but Billy, yeah, he's taught me a lot uh, more than <laughs> more than I expected he would have. But he's just so uh, willing to help me improve my game and so willing to help all the fullbacks at the club improve their game. And uh, it's it's not a competition between me, Hughesy, Nico. It's sort of just like Here's what you like. Here's what I did. Um, find what suits you, and uh, you'll figure out how comfortable you are with doing that. So it, he shares everything he did, and it's just sort of up to us to how we want to go about it and um, how we want to attack the game. Your speed's your greatest asset, in my opinion. Obviously, your toughness as well. But your weight, you're, you're only 80 kilos. Are you trying to put more on, or is that just a misprint in the in the player's guide? <laughs> no, definitely, definitely trying to put a bit more weight on. Um, it was, uh, I think, I come to Melbourne about 75, 74, 75. Um, sort of had a um, pretty good preseason, my first one down here, and. Unfortunately, uh, it was about round two when I was playing Queensland Cup. I had a pretty pretty bad concussion. Um, dropped about five or six kilos, missed about 10 weeks of footy uh, during that time. So uh, that sort of hit me a bit hard. Then the rest of the season was just sort of trying to build that confidence back up again. Uh, then once that happened, got back into pre-season again, trusted that I could put my weight on and got back to where I wanted to be. And um, just, yeah, sort of the past few weeks, I've added a kilo, kilo and a half here and there. And um, yeah, I feel real comfortable going out and playing. I don't feel like it's a hindrance or anything. Uh, it's just it is what it is now, and um, I'll work on this off-season coming to, to put on a little bit more weight and uh, muscle. Who do you get your speed from? Is it mother's side, father's side? Yeah, uh, definitely not dad's side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's about six foot two and 110 kilos. Right. Um, yeah, he's, he's got a giant side to his family, but I think I got my speed from mum. So she was a pretty good netballer back in the day, and she used to... Uh, 
whip around the court. So, um, yeah, I'd say mum. What was been, what's been the, the game breaker this year? I mean, I, like I said, I've called you a couple of times. That, that stint you come on against Parramatta where everything's rolling for Melbourne. I think your th- first four touches were a try and two try assists, and I think you may have even scored another one. But, I mean, it's a rapid rise for a 21-year-old who at the start of the year probably wasn't on many radars, to be honest. But now, going into a final series, you're going to be the fullback for this side. How do you how do you sit back and stay concentrated and grounded on that? Yeah, I think that probably was my sort of breakout game. I think I remember going back to the hotel after, and um, Matty Johns was there, and he sort of come up to me and said that, and um, I sort of stood there like, "Wow, that's awesome to hear." Some people play fifty first grade games and haven't had a breakout one yet, and sort of happened so quickly and. Yeah, so I haven't really had time to sit down and think about it, but um, to hear it from him, to hear it from you, is pretty amazing. That it's considered a breakout game, and uh, going into the finals, it's it's pretty exciting. I, like I said, it only hit me really last night, but uh, you realise, sort of watching as a kid, um, you'd cancel any plans to watch finals footy, and um, to be the one that's going to be playing, um, yeah, pretty. Pretty excited about that. I want to take you back to a moment. Uh, you lost a nail biter to Melbourne, uh, to Manly, sorry, a couple of weeks ago. You spanked them on the weekend, but I'm watching the game, I'm calling the game, and my favourite player gets into the open, Ryan Pappenhausen. I'm ready to go up as one, and you back yourself for speed around Tommy Turbo, but he gobbled you up and picked you. <laughs> Is that, you know, like, do you think. You should have played a different way. Did you back your speed? Like, how fast are you compared to, you know, the elite speedsters in the Fox and, and, and other guys? Well, Philip Sammy the other week as well. Yeah, I think the boys gave uh, Hughesy a bit of stick for for passing it pretty early. So it sort of got taken away from me and yeah. it was, um, all the pain was in him. But um, I think in terms of putting myself with the Fox and, um, yeah, James Roberts and those likes, I don't think I'm up to, to their speed, but... I like to think I can match it with him for a little bit, but yeah, I don't think it's sustained for too long. <laughs> what do you do to relax, Ryan? How do you get yourself away and get yourself recharged to be able to come back and perform on the weekend? Uh, I've got a few things that I do. I sort of I play a fair bit of golf, so on my days off, I'll. Uh, What's your handicap? My handicap's sixteen. Wow. So okay. It's, um, sort of trying to work it a bit down, but. Um, as you know, it's pretty hard to play during the week when you've just been busted on the night before yeah. or you're, <laughs> you're feeling sore. So um, that's more of an off-season target to get it to about 10, I reckon. Um, but other than that, I sort of I enjoy following the, the thoroughbreds and greyhounds. Um, pretty big following that regard. Uh, just uh, looking at property, um, shares as well, investing. I'm pretty interested in reading books about that and just sort of building my knowledge on on things that sort of take my mind away from the game when I have a day off. So um, there's a few things I do, but the main one's probably, yeah, golf and um, and just, yeah, following thoroughbreds and greyhounds. A lot of people will say, um, I have a background in touch, and I know you do as well. You played alongside Kalen Ponga. It, it really is an underrated learning tool for, for ball playing and obviously, you know, sort of vision and stuff as well. How much did you enjoy playing touch and... I mean, I sat down and watched the highlights. I could watch them all day. What did you take out of your touch background that you've able to be able to transform into your rugby league career? Yeah, I actually remember. I um, I think it might have been a Vorden Cup, maybe. I think you were playing in one of the games, and I must have been playing in the juniors or something. And I, uh, I think you might have been playing for 
Penrith or Lower Blue, maybe? Would that be correct? Um, I think I played for Penrith. I think I played for Cronulla as well for a little bit. Yeah. I don't I know what you're doing watching me, mate. I, was... <laughs> I remember yelling out to you and you were waving back. So, um, yeah, it's good to see, like, uh, it's good to see that as a young kid, like, seeing um, NRL players still playing touch footy. And um, that was awesome. I've seen Benji play it a few times. Um, he's awesome to watch. You see Sean Johnson's highlights as well. And they, um, I think they, they're two great products of touch football that have transferred what they were good at into the NRL. And I think mainly it's probably um, ball-playing skills. But I think there's a bit of residual fitness there as well. You sort of come into a pre-season and you've just done a whole state cup or you've uh, run around in park, park touch for a few months. So you've sort of got a bit of fitness there as well. But um, probably the main one, yeah, is probably the ball control and um, being able to, to manipulate defensive sides and even attacking sides in that case. So reading your juniors, New South Wales, 18s, 20s, you're definitely a New South Welshman for sure. Yeah, definitely. Great, 100%. great. Blue, blue. We can lock you in the next couple of years when you get a chance. Uh, let's finish off with some lighter stuff. What's been your best game so far? Well, I think the Melbourne Para one would probably be your highlight, but has there been any other games that would stand out where you came off the field and thought, okay, I've got plenty to work on, but I'm happy with how I played? Yeah, the Power One's definitely stand. That was one of the funnest games I've played in ever. Um, and it was just such a good round too. So you could, um, everyone was sort of watching it and uh, to be a part of it and to, to have a good game was really cool. Um, probably the Roosters. I think uh, obviously they won the premiership last year and uh, to I sort of got called to fullback late um, in that side and uh, we won that game. So that was pretty good to, to beat the um the premiers of last year. Uh, yeah, but then again, like I haven't really had time to sit down and think of any other games, but just the one that spooks to mind is probably the para game just because it was so, it was just so dominant and we um, genuinely had fun out there. So, yeah, probably that one. Let's go to the flip side of that. Have you copped a Craig Bellamy spray yet? Um, no, I haven't copped a spray yet. He's actually pretty reserved with me. I don't know if that's, uh, <laughs> if that's, <laughs> I haven't done anything wrong. I doubt that. But um, I think he's, He's pretty good with getting his message across now, and I don't think I've done anything too wrong for him to blow up at me yet. Um, that's probably a good thing, but uh, I've definitely seen a couple happen to, to other teammates. But, <laughs> does yeah, it make, does it make you nervous that if he's going around the room and he's he's coming closer to you that you think, all right, here I go, it's all right? Yeah, you start, you start thinking of things that you could have done wrong. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think Munster, Munster cops it a fair bit, but... Um, so he should. He's a bit of a larrikin. I'd tell you what, <laughs> it must be nice knowing that you've got the greatest player ever in Cam Smith and one of the best in the competition in Cam Munster to be able to teach you the ropes at such a young age, but then also nurture that development uh, to be able to tip you when you're probably you know, maybe over, you know, overbiting a little bit too much, but also be able to encourage you to, to back yourself. Yeah, definitely. And even on the field, they um, just in those situations where we'd have a call and sort of Smithy would go... Like, he wouldn't do it while we're in the game, but he'd pull us in review after. He goes, what do you think about this call here? Um, in the context of the game, is it the right one? Uh, is it, are we trying to shift it too much? Um, just th- those sort of cues, and I sort of just take them on board. And I think with Munster especially, it's good, just because he's, so, he's such an instinctive player, just every now and then to sort of pick up what's right, what's wrong. Like, you don't want to take it away from his game, but um, I think his game management this year has been a lot better than... Um, what, what it has been the past couple of years purely because he's just learned along the way and he's um, 
he's willing to learn as well, which is good. It's something you mature into as a playmaker. You learn those situations and you think, you know, if you kick one out in the full or you, you bite too much off with a kick, you, you can quickly adjust that. But game management, you can only learn by playing. So I, I totally agree with that point. What was your first car? My first car? Yeah. Uh, Mitsubishi Lancer. I've still got it, actually. Oh, do you? <laughs> I sure do, yeah. Got what? a few parking signs on it at the moment. but <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, we'll try and get rid of those for you as payment for, for coming on the pod. What colour is it? <laughs> It's like a silvery blue. It's a very unique colour. Um, right. And any funny stories as to how you got that one or why you chose that one? Uh, no, not, not not really any stories. It's sort of been hit into a few times and um, sort of ended up chasing down the uh, people who hit it. Those have probably been the, the, the only story so far where I've actually caught the people who ran into my car. But what um, you, uh, it, Hold on, hold on, time out. You, someone's hit your car and you had to chase them down. I had to. No, we'll have to like track the cameras and everything, and find out their number plate, and um, give them a call, and let them know, and <laughs> just that, just that sort of stuff. That's happened twice. So um, yeah, at training or again. what's it? Uh, just while you're parked um, in the streets? Yeah, just in car parks and like um, yeah, car parks, and then there was once at training as well, and uh, yeah, so. I was going to say, I wouldn't be trying to run from you if I saw you play on the weekend. My goodness. <laughs> um, who, who were some of the players you loved watching growing up? You spoke about the, the touch background, but you know, players that you, you probably see a little bit of yourself in now when they were playing in their heyday. Um, oh, well, obviously yourself. I, I sort of um, wore the headgear. <laughs> don't, don't do that, mate. Don't do that. But I, I, was, I really liked... Um, Noddy, Brett Kamali coming through. Um, I was a big Canterbury supporter, so um, just even like him, Brent Sherwin, and I just thought Luke Patton. Um, anyone that played for the Bulldogs, really, I was sort of a big fan of. Um, but I don't really have one in particular. It's sort of just a handful that I like to pick out of their game. Um, but they're probably the main ones, yeah, just the, the Bulldogs when they were in that little dynasty period, I think. All right. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. I'll throw those photos up of Ryan Pappenhausen in the, the Jamie Soward headgear on Twitter for everyone to see. But we appreciate your time and good luck for the finals. Thanks, Dowie. Thanks for having me on, mate. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you jump on, rate, review and subscribe. We'll see you next week.